You guys can continue to read this. Go ahead. Hope you guys are enjoying uh, taking some special time every week to read through the book of Ephesians, and uh, I hope this this season of our church is, is truly impacting you the way that we we want it to. Um, you will be amazed what happens when you take some time to focus on the scriptures and read through the book of Ephesians, like we're all doing as a church. Um, quick thing is, I want to uh, thank everyone who has. Um, listen to a download of the podcast. We have over 500 people or close to that. And uh, we already recorded a second episode. We're getting ready to record another one. Um, I hope that it's helpful and uh, we'll continue to do it. And uh, I, what I love about it is you get to hear from our church. One of the things we focus on is the rest of the church. You know, you hear from me a lot and you hear from other people, but you, you don't get to hear from you. And so a big part of it is bringing in uh, the faces of the people at our church. And so the first time we talked to Will Trapp, um, and it was awesome. You should go listen to it just for that reason. And then this last week, um, uh, we interviewed, and I sat down and talked with Lori Long, one of our worship leaders over here. And so you, you, you hear her. You get to see her up here, um, but you don't really get to hear kind of from her. And so she spent some time with us. You should definitely look for that on Wednesday. Um, it's going to be incredible. And then next week, uh, we are starting a two-week little series um, on a big idea called social media, like me, love me, 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 me. And um, I think that's going to resonate with all of you. I think that um, as we look at this together, we're going to unpack some of the most dangerous things that are happening in humanity and look at what God has to say about it and figure out um, at least a couple of steps to help mitigate some of the challenges that all of these little icons are bringing to all of our lives. And so um, if you have a smartphone, then you have to be here next week um, because this is for you. So as we dive into the last week of identity, uh, it is very important that uh, I give you just a little bit of a recap if you haven't been with us for the past three weeks because what I'm going to talk about today builds upon uh, the last couple weeks, and if you don't, don't kind of get that, then you, you might feel like I jumped ahead. And so a quick recap, but you should go back and watch these, uh, these couple weeks. Um, for those of you that have been here for the series, uh, wouldn't you encourage other people to go and watch these messages? I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you do that? I, I think that uh, it's a big deal. Uh, these are uh, soul-shaping, life-shaping uh, messages from the scripture that you just, you cannot actually live without. And so I don't want you to miss that. Uh, the first week, we talked about how it's 2020, and in 2020, we talk about vision, right? 2020 vision, but we said what I, I said what I think we need is to have a fresh voice. We need to have a fresh voice, and we need to noise cancel the voices in our world 
um, that are telling us who we are and their lies, and we need to elevate and turn up the volume on the voice of God in 2020. We need to do that. And one of the ways we talked about doing that, which has been something you've seen on social media, you might have not known where it came from, but one of the things I said is you want to hear God's voice, you need to get your butt to church. Like you need to, you need to be here, you need to hear from God, you need to be with the people of God. And I think we've had a lot of really, a lot of fun with people going, you know what, like I just need to get my butt to church. And, and even if it's snowing or even if it's, if it's cold or whatever's going on, um, the past couple weeks we've still had great attendance because I think that this is affecting people and I hope that what you'll see is that it's not just to uh, increase the numbers in this room, it is to increase the sound and the presence of God in your life and heart and mind. And you spend an hour in this room with the body of and just reading the scriptures for a minute and, or two like we just did. And God is at work. He's doing something in your life. And so that's a big piece of that. And then week two, we talked about really the definition of identity and how so many of us kind of define ourselves based upon our past, maybe some of our experiences that we, we have, maybe some of our failures, uh, some of our successes, the stuff that we really hang our, our hearts on, the stuff that we really kind of lean into, uh, maybe what we look like, maybe what, whatever, we, we kind of lean on that, and really when it comes to what God has to say, our identity is determined uh, not by where you came from necessarily or what you've done, but who you come from. And the scriptures teach us, and specifically in the book of Ephesians, very directly that because of Jesus Christ, those of us who have been far off were adopted into the family of God, this original family that he started to save the world through, the nation of Israel, the nation um, uh, Abraham's children. We've been kind of brought into that, and now we're, we're his kids. We're his sons. We're his daughters. And that just is what it is. That, that's who we are. And so from that, a lot is supposed to change when we really understand who we are. And then last week, um, I talked about this, and this is one you got to go back. Uh, it's a big idea that applies to identity and a, and a whole lot more. And that is, is, is the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, has a really famous passage that talks about salvation, for it is by grace you've been saved. That passage, a lot of people take that passage and do lots of different stuff with it and have different ideas. Um, but one of the things that the entire book of Ephesians tells us when we go through and we look past just uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 is that that salvation, which is a free gift from God, which you cannot earn on your own, there's nothing you can do for it, was given to you so that you can do something with it. And so we're not saved so that we can just have like our, our ticket to heaven and we can end up in the good place after this whole thing goes awry. We're saved so that the, the heaven that God wants can move into our space and then through us we can bring heaven to earth. So so many of us have been locked up in this evacuation theology where we think, you know, I'm, I'm saved so I can have eternal life in heaven when actually salvation according to the scriptures and specifically according to Jesus who has ultimately all the authority, he says um, that the kingdom of God and the will of God is supposed to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the idea is that we are not saved to get into somewhere. We're saved so that heaven and the Holy Spirit of God can get into us and that God can get himself into the world and start to do what he always wanted to do through us. And we talked about how in Ephesians chapter 4 last week, how that turn takes place 
and how the whole purpose of those first three chapters and the whole purpose of Paul telling us who we really are and our salvation and, and our identity as adopted children, that it's all supposed to now, it's supposed to formulate and coagulate and turn into this movement of walking into the world that God made a way. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He has done something so miraculous to bring heaven to earth to us that we are supposed to now go take heaven to the earth. We're supposed to walk this thing out. We're supposed to start looking different and talking different. And we're supposed to look like Jesus. And we're supposed to start thinking like Jesus. And we're su- supposed to, to, to start feeling like Jesus. And we're supposed to become like him and be transformed. And so the whole rest of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, talks about how important it is now that we follow the example of Christ. And we looked at that in Ephesians chapter 5, continuing the idea that now God made a way so we can walk. So let's follow the example of Christ. Let's live this thing out. So with identity, week, um, week four, um, I want to unpack something for you guys um, that, that I think is going to be really, really fun. And it's really helpful um, if you give me just the moment, uh, your undivided attention, to try to show you that uh, there is a way that I believe we're supposed to understand how to live our lives. We're supposed to figure out actually what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, the things we're supposed to say, the things we're supposed to do, the things we're not supposed to do. And so many of us, we get our cues on what to do with our life and how to live and how to act and behave from a lot of different things, and so many of us get them from the scriptures. And if you take the book of Ephesians in the most simple fashion, it's basically Ephesians 1 through 3, this is who you are, this is your identity, you've been adopted, you're a son, you're a daughter, that's who you are, you are who you come from, and you are in Christ Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, it says, in Christ, 36 times. 36 times, the idea is you're in Christ. You are with him, you are part of him, you are him, you are his, you're in Christ, that's who you are. Then, because of who you are, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, one of the observations I want to make about, okay, what are we supposed to do, is sometimes a confusing thing that happens with that Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 part about what we're supposed to do. And I'll put it this way. Too many people start their journey following Christ with Ephesians 4 through 6. Too many people start their journey with Ephesians 4 through 6. And I'm going to unpack this for several minutes. But what that means is maybe you showed up to church and the first thing that you heard was a bunch of stuff that you're supposed to do and not do. And maybe it didn't come directly from Ephesians 4. All right, in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, there are things like don't get drunk. There are things like obey your parents. There are things like let no foolish talk come out of your mouth. So basically, if you ever went to church and what you heard was don't cuss, don't, you know, have sex with anyone, don't touch sex or talk about sex ever, don't even think about sex, sex is bad and you can't even think about it until you get married and then you're supposed to be, you know, totally involved in that, but don't even think about it, you're immoral if you do, if you ever heard that. If you ever heard, don't drink wine, don't touch wine, don't go where they have wine, don't smell it, move to a different county. 
Like, if you ever heard that, like, the idea was, like, okay, like, it does feel like Christianity, especially if you open up Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul is going through this second part of a bigger idea of who you are should lead to what you do. A lot of Christians have tried to lead other Christians into thinking that the Christian life is just about Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Do these things, don't do these things. This is what it means to be a Christian. Let's just skip all this identity stuff and let's just get to this behavioral stuff. If you act this way, then leaders feel more comfortable. I have my church and we've had, you know, we don't have any, you know, people drinking. We don't have any people doing that, whatever. There's lots of different reasons that people have taken that and gone, this is what it needs to be. Maybe it just makes it easier. Here's a list of things to do and I just want to do the right thing. So I'm just going to like do what this says and I'm going to focus. I'm going to be technical. I'm going to get all the behaviors perfect. Whatever it is, a lot of people start that way. But on the contrary, people either do that or, up, oh, go back. Oh, whoops, okay, no, that's right. Sorry, these got reformatted. Or, or they think it's outdated and irrelevant. Okay? So a lot of people start with a list of rules and they go, okay, so this is the Christian life. Or when they start with Ephesians 4 through 6, they go, there's no way that this is the Christian life. There's no way that... Don't drink. It says in Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine. So you're thinking, well, this Christian thing is not for me. This Christian thing is not for me. Because one of the most Christian things I do is go to a wedding and (laughs) to the groom, to the groom. Like that's, we drink at the wedding. So apparently I go to a Christian wedding, but I'm supposed to be the Christian who doesn't drink at the wedding while all the other people celebrate the wedding, which is one of the most godly things in the world. Sorry. You might think that. And so you go, this is irrelevant to me. No coarse jesting. So if you like Will Ferrell, Christianity's not for you. Just not for you. You cannot be a Christian and like Will Ferrell. Well, all right, man. I mean, all I want is more cowbell. Like, it's just like you have, so I'm, you understand? So a lot of us try to figure this out. And we look at, well, what was Paul saying about the drinking? And what was Paul saying about not a hint of sexual immorality? I mean, when you talk about this stuff, the, the, the analogies just go off the charts. I came from a place that focused really heavily on uh, Ephesians 4 through 6, and it just like basically skipped past, like read verse chapter 1, read chapter 2, read chapter 3, and we're going to camp out in 4. We're going to camp out, not a hint of sexual immorality. Now, this is all about all kinds of things, but the sexual one for young evangelical fundamentalists was like the major like card of you just don't have sex, you don't think about sex, you don't sniff, you don't do any of it. You don't do it. Yeah, you don't sniff sex, sorry. <laughs> don't sniff it. If you sniff it, you're off. It's wrong, you're wrong. Like, I went to a, a, a one-year evangelical Bible college where if you touched uh, someone of the opposite sex, you got demerits. If you touched them, like if you like picked up their coat and then you touched their hand while you handed it to them, you got a demerit. And it was like, I mean, I had like 45 demerits within the first three days. Like, I, how am I supposed to do this? No, like, so, like, right, so I came from that. I remember uh, having a pastor. I don't spend too much time on this. Ryan's going to be mad. I got to slow down. I got to stop. I remember the analogy of the, the, the youth pastor bringing out the brownies and saying, like, I made these brownies. They're my grandma's custom recipe. And, like, you know, they're amazing. Do you want some? And everyone's like, yes, of course. They're, you know, hot and chocolatey and delicious and you know thicker than the normal brownies not too hard soft like cake but still a brownie thank you grandma like so like you want that and then right before we all like we're about to eat it he was like but I put a little bit of my dog's fecal matter in it in the batter and we were like what I don't want to eat this and he's like that's what sexual immorality is like and I was like 
whoa, man, I don't like brownies anymore. Like, I mean, so, so you understand, like, this is something that when you start to go down the Christian pathway and you're like, I want to follow Jesus, and it's one of the things that's crazy about it. I want to follow Jesus. Like, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him. He died for me. I accept the gift. Then you start to walk and you go, man, what am I supposed to do? Sometimes it can feel like you're running the gauntlet, like being a Christian is like American Ninja Warrior. Like, I can't hold on to the rings that long. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this, so I don't know why I signed up to begin with. And so I want to unpack a little bit of this, this stuff because a lot of people also look at it the other way and they think I can do whatever I want and I can just be free. And basically Jesus set me free and there's freedom in Christ. So that means, you know, I can drink whatever I want all day long or eat whatever I want or I can sleep with whoever I want and Jesus loves me and he's fine with me. And then we get that tattooed on our chest, Jesus loves me. And every time we have another sexual partner, they're like, really? <laughs> like he does? Like, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like you're doing whatever you want. I mean, listen, this is the reality, right? People go to these extremes. So I want to unpack these extremes. And the idea here is the rules versus reckless idea. Rules. It's all about rules. This is a bad end of the spectrum. We can't live in this place where the Christian life and our behavior is all about a list of rules. And let me tell you why. Here's why. If all we do is follow the rules... It will steal from God's greater role for us to play. If all we do is follow the rules, we miss the greater purpose. We're uh, uh, leading a group of third grade boys through a, a, a basketball season right now. And so we're, we're in the latter half and we're still teaching fundamentals. And uh, we, we spent all week, this week, teaching one of the fundamentals of rebounding because we still don't box out and we still don't rebound. Sorry, girls, I have a different analogy for the reckless one that's right up your wheelhouse, don't worry. But I'm guys, basketball, I know girls like basketball too. I saw an amazing girls basketball last night game. So like, um, like, dude, we're teaching these kids how to rebound. Here's what we're teaching. When the ball's up in the air, jump up in the air and grab the ball at the highest point that you can possibly get it. Don't let it fall in your hands. Jump up and grab the ball. When you grab the ball, we teach them to do something called chin it, which basically means that the ball needs three points of contact from your body. Your right hand, your left hand, and so close that it either touches your chin or your neck or your chest. And you're holding it so tight that your elbows are up like this. So we teach them, grab the ball and chin it so you protect it and make space. And then we, we teach them, when they rebound, to pivot and make space. Make space. Because we tell them if they just go like this, that's a foul. It's a foul if you just go, whack, get out of my way. It's not a foul. If you hold the ball, you make space, and you pivot. You're making space for yourself. So we teach the kids, this is very technical. This is how you rebound, chin the ball. This is what you do. So the kids are practicing this. They do it all week. So yesterday, I'm not going to say who, one of the kids in the game does exactly what we say. Jumps up in the air, grabs the ball at its highest point, brings it down, chins the ball, three points of contact, pivots right and left, goes like this, and there's no one around him. No one around him. He's just pivoting. He just, look, I'm doing it. I'm playing by the rules, coach. I'm pivoting, baby. And we're like, you don't need to do that if you're all by yourself. <laughs> Sorry, I just went totally van down by the river. <laughs> You don't need to do that. Sorry. 
So, so it's like we're telling him, like, the point is to be technical and understand that. But what can happen is if you don't understand the greater purpose of rebounding in the game, then you just run through and you do everything technical. You just do everything perfect. And what happens is it becomes just about doing everything perfect. That's not what a faith is. That's not what a relationship with God is. It's not about doing everything exactly right. Because here is the drift that happens when you think that way. Self-righteousness. What happens when you live a rules-based approach to your faith is you end up building a category of how well you're doing and then you turn it in at the end of the day to God. Look what I did. It's not about Jesus' righteousness to me. It's not about how he made me forgiven. It's not about how he loves me. It now becomes... I've got to do everything technically perfect. And then I'm going to actually kind of twist this into a self-made religion of doing everything perfectly, and then God will love me. There's so many problems with just going, let's do it perfectly. So I'm not saying you shouldn't study the scriptures. I'm not saying you shouldn't know what the Bible means specifically. I'm saying that your goal to the Christian life is not to be this technically perfect, get everything right, follow it just by the rules. That's not the goal. Those are fundamentals. It's part of it. It's important. But there's a bigger game. There's a purpose. There's an overall goal. Loving people, loving God, being Jesus to the world, winning people, considering other people's interests better than yourself. There's a bigger purpose here. So don't get caught up in just rules. On the other side of the equation is this reckless idea. Oh, man, that's outdated, and that just doesn't apply to me. There's no way that applies to me. And here's what happens when we do that. If we always do whatever we want, we'll end up where where we never wanted to be. You see, this is the problem with just doing what feels good. The reckless thing says, well, the Bible isn't a good enough guide because it's outdated. So the postmodern idea that in world that we all live in is do what feels good. Do, do what my heart says. Whatever my heart says is where I'm going to go. I'm going to feel it inside. And if it says that I should say that, I'm going to say it because you know what? With the reckless idea, without having any direction from the scriptures, it's, I got to do me, man. I got to be true to myself. And if you live your life, you need to hear this, no matter what age you are, if you live your life always doing what you want to do with no guidelines, with no greater purpose, with no bigger role, you will end up in a place where you go, the whole time I was doing all the stuff I wanted, I didn't want to end up here, because doing what you always want to do always gets you in the wrong spot. You have to figure out where God is leading you. Part of the purpose of salvation is not just that it's good, it's that we need it. We need it. The heart is evil. It's deceptive. Um, This is not popular. The Bible says it's wicked above all else. That basically, if we follow this thing that just tells us to go where we want, it is just going to like Pac-Man through the world and get stuff that you end up at the end of the day and you go, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. If, all, if every time at your job you just say that thing because you have no self-control, it's going to get you up with, end you up with no job. 
You go, man, I was in there, and I just, I was being true to myself. I said what I wanted, and I didn't want this. If every single time you see someone that you're attracted to, you go down that road, that's not going to get you where you want to be. This applies in every way. So we have to have it. Here, here's the example. Here, here's what this means. You're, you, you become true to self. This is the drift. You're true to self and not to God. And self needs God more than self needs self. Self is not full unless it has God. God gives himself to you so that you can be complete and whole. You have a major missing piece and it's God. And if you rely on the part of you that doesn't have him, you will end up in spaces you never wanted to be. My friends, this is The Bachelor. It's The Bachelor. It's The Bachelor. That's what this is. Hey, I know why everybody, all the girls I know, I mean, whatever, I'm not trying to be like sexist, but so many girls in the world that I live in love to watch The Bachelor. Why? Why do you love to watch The Bachelor? Can I tell you why? Let me tell you why. The reason that we all like to watch The Bachelor is because what we're watching is a bunch of people who are doing this. They're just, one day they love Jim. And then one day it's Henry. And then one day it's Anthony. And it's just like as you, you step back from it and you go, oh man, she, but she's feeling it in that moment. Oh, not him anymore. Oh, she's feeling it now. Oh, not him anymore. Oh, she's feeling it. Final rose. Yeah, right. Final rose. The final rose is always you finally had to raise up and get a lawyer for the divorce. That's the final rose. It always leads to what they don't want. Because all The Bachelor is is us on the outside looking in going, it's like they're eating chocolate for every meal. Who wouldn't want to do that? That's so fun. That feels so good. I like to watch that. Ooh, she loves him. Look at her eyes. Look at her tears. Did you see how she said that? She loves him. Next episode. Him? I hate him. I mean, right? One to the next. And the reason why I think so many girls like this is it's what you would never do. You would never actually, in your right mind, agree to a process of just engaging in a romantic relationship, one different one every day until you marry the one that's left. You would never, ever do that. So, you see how this idea of just kind of being pulled around by whichever way the wind blows is really, really scary. And it's really, really scary to just go all rules-based and just be technical and miss the broader purpose. And so what we have to do is we have to understand that the Bible is not something that just sets our hearts free to do whatever we want. And the Bible is not something that's just a list of rules that you just have to follow every single day. The Bible is the story of who God is, who we are, and how our broken relationship has been restored. The Bible is the story of who God is, who we are, and how the broken relationship between us has been restored and is being renewed into the future world. And so, here's the deal. When you understand the Bible, it gives you a correct sense of self. And a correct sense of your divine identity leads to a purposeful way of godly living. So Ephesians 4, not just godly living, back up, a correct sense of self, interpreting everything about your life through who you are will now lead to godly living. Not just a bunch of rules 
and not just follow your heart. Who God says you are, who God is, is supposed to be your number one indicator, your number one cue for what you're supposed to do. We are supposed to look at the whole story. We're supposed to look at Ephesians 1 through 3 and go, who does it say that I am? And now we have these, these things here. Follow Jesus. There's specific things. Am I supposed to dive into that and do it perfectly? Am I supposed to pull all the way away from that? No. This is an outline. Ephesians 4, 5, 6. Of what it looks like to be transformed into the image of God. And it can be very challenging if we don't understand it. So I want to give you a, a, a kind of an analogy to help us filter how we're supposed to behave because of who we are. One way to put it this way is that this story that we're talking about that's unfolded in the, in the scriptures, the, the Bible is the story, the story of who you are has the directions for how to live. The story for who you really are has the directions for how you're supposed to live. So I'm going to venture out and use this whiteboard. I need a little, like, help for the, for the whiteboard. You guys good with that? I'm going to use the whiteboard. You guys feeling that? No, I need a little encouragement because I'm really bad at writing on a whiteboard. Yeah. So we're going to look at this story. Okay? I don't know if this is going to work. Ryan, I'm going to do this wrong. See? I did it wrong. See? I did it wrong. I have to go the other way. Is anyone nervous? Oh, there we go. There we go. All right. Okay. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. In order for you to know the directions for living, you really have to have an understanding of the story. And this is something that takes a long time. You spend your whole life doing this. Um, but there's a basic sense that you can get if you view it this way. If you break the story up into five parts, okay? So the story is like this. The first part of the story is creation. And in the creation, there's so much about your identity. God made you in his image. You are his image bearer, and you are supposed to rule and bring who God is into the world. So in creation, we have God made a garden. God put people in the garden. He made chaos. He took from chaos and made cosmos. He, he made something that's kind of confusing, dark, and muddled, and he made it uh, beautiful. And he says, now you are going to go and do this too. All right? So that is not just this idea. That means that we have a vocation as humans, that we're designed to reflect God's goodness into this world. So that was the way God intended things to be. Then came the fall. This is where, and I'm going to talk a lot about this next week, this is where we basically told God, your knowledge of right and wrong is wrong. Your knowledge, God, is wrong. Mine is right. I know what's right, and I know what's wrong, and I'm going to do it my way. That's the story of the apple and seeing that it was good and being not capable of resisting it because it offers a knowledge that's bigger and better than God. And God gave people the opportunity to choose if they think that their way of living life and who they are supposed to be is better than him. 
And they did it at the beginning, and we all do it all the time. The story of Genesis is not just a story, it's the story. This is what we do. Some of us did this last week. Some of us did this this morning. We constantly live in this, the knowledge of good and evil. God doesn't know. I'm going to do it my way. When we chose that, God and man were fractured. There was brokenness. They call this death because of sin. Because of falling short of what God's knowledge of good and evil is, sin and death and darkness and separation entered into the world. That's the fall. So we have a problem on our hands. Now, as you're thinking about your identity, put it through this filter. God made me to be a certain way. I'm supposed to be his prince. I'm his princess. I'm supposed to rule and reign and reflect the goodness of God into the world. That's how he made me. Well, I made a mistake and turned my back on that. And despite myself, I keep doing it. I keep getting into trouble. But God's original design still remains. So God says, I love my original design. I love you. I want to fix it. So I'm going to start the plan of fixing it through Israel. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a group of people starting with Abraham, they're gonna have children, and from their children and from that nation, I'm going to bring salvation into the world. I'm gonna fix this fallen thing. So, um, uh, think about the benevolent father. I made you a certain way. This is who you really are, regardless of what this broken, dark, twisted thing does in your mind about your identity. It's just, just you, you have been broken, you need fixed. You choose it, I'll fix you anyway. So I'm gonna start the plan of salvation through the nation of Israel, and I'm going to culminate the plan of salvation with the person of Jesus. A lot of people think that there's a divide right here. That's Old Testament, New Testament. Not the case. This is the beginning of God's salvation story. Jesus is the culmination of it. He's saying, I'm here. I'm the one who's going to fix the fallenness. I am going to wipe away the sin. I'm going to take the penalty for sin. I'm going to raise to life to defeat death, and I'm gonna offer the baton of that same life to every single one of you who choose to believe in my name. And all of this is so that we can get back to this. And after Jesus goes, we have this fifth part of the story that's called the church. And the reason I put these two lines here is because we kind of have, from the scriptures, we have the beginning parts of the story, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the epistles, prison epistles, the letters from Paul, and uh, some others. And then we have from John a, a, a revelation at the end of the Bible that is about the end of this whole thing. And that's here. But in the middle is the church. And that's where we're asking because of all of this, how am I supposed to behave here? How am I supposed to live here? So the way that I want you to think about this, to add the next layer, is to stop just thinking about this uh, of a story, but to start to put yourself in this story. Put yourself in this story. So here's how that might look. What you have here is you have a five-act play. You have act one, two, three, four, and five. And what is happening is you are, as the actor, in this part of Act Five, your job is to do your homework. Your job is to understand who you are, what your role, what your role is, your character, how you're supposed to behave, 
what you're supposed to think about, how you would behave based upon your history. So whenever you look at whatever it is you're going through, you go, well, God created me to reflect his goodness into the world. It was broken. God loved me enough to fix it. He fixed it through Jesus. And now I'm supposed to bring his glorious goodness, Ephesians chapter 5, follow the example of Jesus in the world. So instead of just going, i got to follow all the rules, you go, what would it be like if I was playing my role the right way. I mean, so you just start to take this to every area. And this is where this is crazy. You start to improvise. And that's what the director might say. You see, in the story of your identity are the directions or the director's cues for every situation. So you start to look at this and you get to, you get to improv. Here's, the, here's a couple things about improv. The, the difference between being rules and reckless, the difference between uh, being so tight and almost robotic and being loose and just a fart in the wind. Sorry, I said fart, but that's, that's the, that, the, the difference is improvisation, okay? So what is improv? Improv does have some rules. It has a baseline. For example, if you're playing jazz and you're improvising, there's a key, there's a tempo, certain notes that are being played, there's certain measures that are being gone through. So you play the notes on the page until you get to the time you're improvising. That's the world we live in today. But you don't just get to change the key. You don't just get to change the tempo. If you start playing the song and play different keys, then the band's going to go, stop, dude. We're not in, we're in E flat. Like, what are you doing? You, 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 can't, you can't do that. And so you, you start looking at your life in terms of your behavior as God's sitting there going, okay, ready and action. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hmm. That's good. I like that. Oh, cut. You can't do that. Why? Well, you can't smack that person in the face. You know why? Jesus wouldn't do that. It's just not part of your character. Let's back up. You are created in the image of God. God doesn't walk up and smack people in the face. How about this way? You shouldn't demean people on Facebook. Cut. Don't do that. Don't attack people. Why? Well, there's a bunch of reasons. Couple, you're created in the image of God. All right? You are his beautiful reflection to the world. You're supposed to be benevolent and gracious and good and kind and always considering other people. God made you out of nowhere. He just thought about you. Do that for other people instead of demeaning them. Just take it from that. Well, but I'm fallen. Yeah, but God loved you enough to save you. So you should have this almost like, uh, this burden of, I want to represent the love of God in my life. I got to do that. So I'm going to be love because I was loved. I mean, that's the scripture. We love because we were first loved. So I'm going to love instead of demean. You can take this anywhere. Anywhere that the wind blows, you start to look at yourself through, this doesn't have to be a bunch of list of rules. You look at those rules and they mean something, but now you get to improvise. You get to make some decisions. You get to be both and. You get to kind of say, oh yeah, and this, and that, and be, and become something that is creatively wonderful and representing the will of God. Now, this is a very difficult process. Walking through life and being the kind of person, living the kind of life that God tells us to be in this book it's very, very complicated. And so I want to give one more final example um, that is not an example so that I stand up here and make a mandate for what our church believes on a particular, particular issue. I'm just going to use this example to try to show you how to run this idea through this filter 
of how we're supposed to live our lives. And it's, it's this idea, drinking. And when I say drinking, I'm talking about drinking alcohol, consuming alcoholic beverages. Now, when we look at the rules, it's, it can be one of these things that, that gets kind of confusing, right? Because the Bible says in Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine. I gotta tell you that I grew up in an environment that took don't get drunk with wine. And they said that means you can never drink. That means drinking is a sin. And in that environment, it was also told to me that when Jesus turned water into wine, that what they were doing with that text is that Jesus actually just purified the water. And it wasn't actually wine. So laughable. It's not true. The people are celebrating at a wedding. They're drinking and celebrating. Jesus comes and gives them better wine. He didn't show up and go, well, you got water that's unpurified. Let's put a little wine in it to make it so that you can drink. The whole context tells you that's not true. But I was in that rules environment. Now, some people grow up and it's like, dude, there's no rules, so we just drink and just go crazy, and there's just grace, and it's just fine, and I'm just going to live my life, and, and then I can slip into really bad problems and really bad addictions, and, and it's almost like it's allowed, but we know it's not, and it's hurtful. Then some people slip all the way back because they got in so much trouble. So here's the way I want you to think about this. The Bible teaches us that Jesus showed up at this wedding, that he wants us to celebrate. The Old Testament has so many pictures of people consuming alcohol for certain moments and occasions of celebration. The Bible says, you are my prince. You are my princess. I care about you. I want you to live a life that reflects who I am. So you take this idea of drinking, and you take this idea of just what you might wear to a wedding. What are you allowed to wear to a wedding? Can you wear whatever you want to a wedding? You can, but you shouldn't. If you show up girls at a wedding and you wear a white dress, that's taboo, all right? Guys, if you show up at a wedding with shorts and a tank top on, that's not okay. You're supposed to represent what's happening in the occasion. So you show up, you wear something that is not too loud. You, can, you don't have to wear a bow tie, but you can wear a tie. You fit in. Now, when the dancing happens and you start to drink a little bit, are you allowed to take your shirt off and tie it around your head and dance like a monkey? You could, but you probably shouldn't. You know why? Because that's not who you are. Are you allowed to unbutton the top button and dance a little bit and have a couple drinks? Absolutely, because God is all about celebration. God is all about being in the moment. God is all about caring about people. And so that's just one little example of how I believe you should look at the whole story and go, if I was in this play, how would God want me to act? I have some very interesting footnote clues. I have some specific things that he said. I have a big picture of my character. Now, ready and act. Live this thing out. You can take this idea and apply it to any part of your life. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to start to look at this like when you're talking to people. Just think, okay, I'm a character in God's story, and he has made me to represent him. What, what should I say? Does it fit? If I'm really nasty right here, if I'm really coarse, uh, I tell you, I get in trouble there all the time. I'm, some, I'm somewhat, uh, because I came from such a tight rules thing, I sometimes get a little too crazy on the joking, if you can imagine. Push it too far. And it's like, oh, that, that's not who I am. That's not the way I'm supposed to be. So I want you to look at every part of your life, the way you spend your money. 
If God looked at the way you spent your money, would he go, yes, that's right. That's exactly who you are. You're my prince. You're my princess. The way you live, the way you think, the way you spend your resources, that's what I want you to do. I want you to be generous. I want you to take care of those who you love and, and be honest with your money. I want you to, to live that way. If, if he looked real close, would he say, you're still in character? When you think about the work that you do, it doesn't have to be like in the church doesn't have to be necessarily part of the, 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 the actual function, the vocation of the local church, but it's supposed to be in character with who you are as a Christ follower. So when you look at your job, and maybe you, you, you work for net jets, and you organize flights, are you doing that the way God wants you to? Are you skimming? Are you cheating? Are you, are you, what are you doing? God wants you to stay in character. And we learn that through knowing the story and constantly going back. You get to improvise. You're allowed to have fun. It's not just a list of rules. You're allowed to live your life. You're allowed to be God's glorious creation. We're not human doings. We're human beings. Be a human. Be the one that God made you to be. Constantly take your cues from the whole story and then stand up there and improvise. I'm going to close this entire series out with a story. It's amazing how one story from the life of Jesus can really capture the entire series that we just went through. And it's, this, it's the story of Jesus when he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. And some of us know this story. This is a friend of Jesus's, and he is um, hearing that he's dead, and he waits a little bit, and then he shows up. You go read about this in John chapter 11. And in the story, it's amazing. Jesus gives two commands, and these commands speak to this entire series. So just hang with me. In fact, I want you to stand up while I share this part with you. This, this part is so amazing. Jesus, he goes to where Lazarus is dead, to Bethany. And when he gets there, his first command is take away the stone. Take away the stone. And this is a picture Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for several days. And Jesus shows up and he says, take away the stone. This is Jesus saying, I'm making a way for life. And this is the life of Jesus. You see, death and destruction is the stone. There's a barrier between life and the grave. And Jesus shows up and he says, take away the stone. That phrase right there, take away the stone, is the whole gospel message. Jesus, on the cross, he paid the penalty for sin. He rose from the dead to give us victory over death. He offers that to all of us, and he says, that's the stone. It's been removed. Ultimately, anyone who wants to follow me, anybody who wants to run out of the grave, can run out of the grave. Anybody who listens can follow. Anybody who wants life can find it outside of the grave. And then the second command he gives is this. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. This is the whole series. He calls him by name. Lazarus, this is who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. I know you. I love you. I created you. I know you by name. And if you want to follow me, then go ahead, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and run out of the grave. Go walk this thing out. Go live based on the narrative that you see. Go look at, I made you my son. I made you my daughter. I, I created you. I gave you an opportunity. 
go and bring the purpose of God's original design into the world. Go and live this thing out. That is the message of the resurrection of Lazarus. So as we think about this entire series, it's who you are, it's what you do, it's knowing the story and playing your role. Let's sing this together. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing, now your love is the air much for being here during this series. Can you hear me? You don't have me? There you are. Thank you so much for being here. We love you guys. Please get your butts to church next week. Hold on, I forgot something. I forgot. No, I forgot. Hey, Carmen, don't give me this, okay? Don't give me wrap it up. Here, get really quiet. Really quiet. I'm breaking the mold. I'm breaking the order of service. Everybody listen. Listen to the sound of my voice. Sorry. Listen. Next week at church, we are going to announce the date of the first day in the new building. So, you don't want to miss that. We'll see you then. We love you guys.